Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. I said it a couple weeks ago. How do you not bob your head when that one's going on, man? That's got some good energy. Hey, we're glad that you're here today. My name's Jeremy. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I'm thankful that you chose to be here on this Sunday morning. Uh, What a powerful time of prayer we just had in the last few minutes, and and that's been across uh, both services so far today with one more to go. But we're just thankful that you've come to be here. If you've been here with us all five weeks of this series, or maybe today's the first time you've ever been here, we're just thankful that you got up this morning and chose to come and worship with us here at Canton Church. We never take that for granted. You heard just a few minutes ago, or over the last couple of minutes, uh, about baptism. Let me just say to some of you, for your families, that might be the best next step for you. Uh, You've kind of, again, put a stake in the ground, made some decisions as a family. Some of you have made decisions to follow Jesus Christ and accept him as Lord and Savior of your life. Baptism would be an incredible day for you to take that next step. We don't believe that baptism saves you, but we believe it's this public celebration of the private work of God in your heart and in your life. And for some of you, we would love to baptize your whole family. So if you've never been baptized, if you've made what we, we would call a recommitment recently, or maybe your family, you've made a decision together to serve the Lord and to build your home and your family on a relationship with Jesus Christ, we'd love to baptize your whole family. We can't fit you all in the water at one time, but we'll do it one by one. And uh, it'd be a great day. So go online and register for that. And then one more thing about next week. Next Sunday is a holiday weekend, so Labor Day weekend. Uh, We will not have an 8.30 service. We'll have 10 and 11.30 only, but it's one of my favorite Sundays of the year. It's Communicator Sunday. And so this is kind of a semi-annual event for us now. We do it twice a year. And uh, in those two services at 10 and 11.30, we'll have 10 different people from our congregation that will be helping to deliver the message, uh, five in each service. And and it's phenomenal. I've already heard their messages. They sent their notes and things like that. Um, So it's going to be a great day. Be here with us. It is by far the episode of our podcast every year that gets the most listens. Uh, And so, you know, you get a couple hundred on any given week, and that one just like jumps way through the roof. Uh, as people just want to go back and hear what somebody shared. And so that's, I'm thankful for that. Uh, so be here with us next week at 10 or 11.30. Today we conclude this series uh, of really the five things that will keep your family together. Over the first four weeks, we've talked about some of these principles that we believe will help any family at any stage and any age. Whatever stage you find yourself in in your family, we believe these principles are transferable to wherever you find yourself and contextualize life right now. And, and I started the first week of the series giving you some statistics. I want to give you those same statistics again today. Uh, we talked about the idea that 40 to 50% of couples divorce. One in three kids live in a home without a father. The average student loan debt per household is almost $50,000. Over 7 million children take a form of antidepressant medication. And over 3,000 high school students attempt suicide every day. And some of you that have been here multiple weeks, you're like, could you not get any new statistics? I don't think I needed any. This, this really gives us a great snapshot to tell the truth that the average family is not doing well. But what we've said every single week is that your family does not have to be average. We believe that God has a higher calling and a higher purpose for your family. And it's not that these five things we're discussing are an exhaustive list. There's a ton of other things you can do and should do as you pursue Christ and you pursue a godly home. But we believe these five things will help you to kind of take that step into the enriching, fulfilling, God-honoring life for you and for your family. And so each of these five weeks, we talked about one principle. So the first week, we talked about the idea that the first thing that would keep your family together is God. And really, we could have stopped right there, but we wanted to preach four more weeks, so we kept adding to it. But we said, if you will take what Scripture talks about of building your life and building your home on the firm foundation of who God is, 
that your family and your life will be enriched. It will be all that God has purposed and destined for your family. The second week, we talked about forgiveness. We said that those who love you the most have the potential to hurt you the most. And that if we're going to keep our families together, we have to be willing and able to forgive well and to forgive quickly. The third week, we talked about margin. We talked about the idea that you've got to be able to put a fence around the root system, the values of your home, your family life, and you've got to be willing to say no to some good things so that you can say yes to the best things. And that God has called us not to be running a million miles an hour all the time, every day. He's called us to days and seasons of rest. He's called us to moments where we just put the pause button and, and we stop being consumed by being only what we can produce, but we rest in our identity that's found in him. Last week, we talked about the idea of effort, that you do have to put in effort. You do have to work at it. You do have to try and so there are some things that you can do to demonstrate your love and your affection toward your family members, and that's important. So we're not just saying, hey, you know, I love God, and I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to build, you know, have a Sabbath day and all that, but I'm not going to try. I'm just going to sit on the couch, and you just kind of do what you want to do. you got to invest in the relationship. And so today I want to talk about this idea of communication. I think we probably could have moved communication way up the list, but I think to end here... Uh, is great because for me, communication is kind of the secret sauce. Corey and I, my wife, we, we have the opportunity to meet with couples in premarital counseling type sessions. We meet with couples sometimes that are in crisis. We meet with family members where uh, the parents are distraught about who their children are becoming and what's going on in their children's lives. And we meet with sometimes with, with kids of a variety of ages who are trying to figure out how to connect to their parents or to the next generations of their family. And it seems to be that whatever we're discussing is not really what we're discussing. Now, sometimes there are very big and real issues at play. But usually, if we were to continue to drill down into that issue, what we find is that there is some form of brokenness in communication. And that if we can find a way to talk about the stuff that we need to talk about, then we can actually deal with the stuff that we need to deal with. But so often what we do is we just kind of push away from hard conversations and awkward conversations. And we say, well, I've tried that. I've done that. They don't listen to me. They won't engage with me. And so I just don't even know what to do. And so we just stop communicating. And so we can't get into the stuff that we need to deal with because we can't talk about the stuff we need to talk about. Let me give you a few examples. Maybe you would identify with some of these. You, you fall in love with someone. And you think, man, we're going to get married, and I've got a thousand ideas about what marriage is going to look like. And then you're five or seven years into marriage, and none of what your marriage looks like is anything that you envisioned or imagined. And you can't figure out how to even start having the conversations that you need to have. And he spends all his time in the man cave or in the basement or away doing other stuff, and you spend all your time in the kitchen or in the living room. And you don't even have a conversation because you don't know where to start, but you know this is not necessarily what you had in mind about marriage. There's a brokenness in communication. Maybe our kids are getting older, and we need to have the talk or a talk, or we need to kind of make sure they know some things, but we're just like, oh, that's going to be awkward, and I'm actually kind of afraid that I've waited a little too long, and so I don't want to have it too early, and so how early is too early? Let me just go ahead and tell you, it's never too early to start that conversation, but you go, well, I, I think I've waited too long, and so now I'm afraid if I start having the conversation, they're going to know more than I know, and so I'm not even sure where to jump into this thing, and, and so we wait, and we go, well, Lord, would you just help them to find the right information? There's a brokenness in communication. There's a brokenness and a breakdown in what we're communicating and how we're communicating Maybe your in-laws at some point in your past hurt your feelings. 
Not like they said something ugly. Like they wounded you. And you're, you're hurt, and they may know you're hurt, or maybe they don't, but you've never talked about what they did. And so now, the two or three or four times a year you might have to see them, you just put on a smile, but you can't wait to get out the door. We're just going to let it stay broken. We're not going to talk about it. We just don't want to deal with it. Now, maybe you can identify with some of these things, or maybe you can't. But for me, here's what I want you to know today. Things do not work themselves out. People work things out when they talk about it. Things don't just get better. Like, you've got to engage in conversation. Conflict does not go away. Conflict has to be resolved. So the important things that we, ha- that we need to talk about, we got to jump in. And we might have to just say, hey, there's an elephant in the room. This is going to be awkward. I'm so sorry. But I need to say something to you. And so we've got to jump into the conversations that are necessary. And you go, well, you know, I'll just follow the example of the people in the Bible. Because surely all of the families in the Bible were healthy, no conflict, no brokenness. Probably not what you're going to find. There was a guy by the name of Jacob who conned his dying father and he stole from his brother and he ran away in the middle of the night and he didn't come back for 20 years. Maybe you go, wow, that sounds like my family. Con man, deception, lying, stealing, people running away from conversations and the need for forgiveness and we haven't talked to him in a long, long time. Maybe you can identify with the story of Noah who laid around drunk naked in his house one day after the flood and his son walks in and Noah puts a curse on him and that's the end of the story like it's never resolved in scripture like we don't even know what really happened to the son and this curse and this conversation that was necessary like they just never had it Jesus himself who had somewhat of a merged family right because you got Mary and Joseph but there was a supernatural conception so Joseph is his stepfather so he has these half brothers And one time his half-brothers show up where Jesus is teaching, and Jesus won't even let him in the room. He's teaching these other people, and he won't even let him in the room. His brother James, his half-brother James, did not even get saved believing that Jesus was the Son of God until after Jesus had already died on the cross. Like, there's brokenness. There's brokenness in communication. There's brokenness in families. And so we got to figure out how to deal with it how to lean into the struggle and have the conversations that are necessary to have these honest conversations so that God can do all that God desires to do in our family. So I want to spend the rest of our time in one verse of Scripture. Now, usually I've got a bunch of verses or I've got a larger passage. I think everything we need to know about this subject can be found in one verse of Scripture. Interestingly, this this letter that we're going to look to is is the book of James. James is one of those half-brothers I was talking about of Jesus. This is in the New Testament. We're going to be in James chapter 1 if you want to go ahead and flip there or find it on your app. But this is James talking, and James, the book of James, is referenced a lot of times as the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's these short one-liners or one verse that you could take and apply to your life. This is what it says in James chapter 1 verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Anytime scripture tells me to take note of something, I try to take note of that. This is what he says. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. And slow to become angry. Perhaps you've heard that or read that before. But my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone, no exclusions. Everybody in the room, the youngest to the oldest, male, female, parents, children, grandparents. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I want to take those three things and unpack them for just a few minutes in the remainder of our time. The first one that we see there is we've got to listen more. We have to listen 
more. Look at the scripture that we just read. It says, dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Now, here's what I want you to do. We're going to take a little test here. This is an all skate, all participate here. Everybody has to participate. If you don't, we will remove you from the church, okay? If you would say, we're not going to do that. I'm just kidding, okay? Some of you are like, oh, I'm leaving this church. Please don't. I was just kidding. All right, so if you would say, I think I'm a pretty good listener, raise your hands. Raise your hands. Raise them high. Raise them high. I can tell who's not a good listener because some of them didn't even know what I just asked right there. But you would say, I'm a, I'm a good listener, right? Okay, keep your hands raised. Keep them raised. Keep them raised. Keep them raised. I'm just going to see. Okay, good stuff. All right, you can put your hands down. Now, if you would say, I got to be honest, I'm not even sure why we're raising our hands right now. I'm not a great listener. Raise your hand. I'm not a great listener. Not a great listener. Okay. So in the first service, we were split about 50-50. This service is about 60-40. We're better listeners. My favorite thing to observe right there was the people that are sitting beside each other, spouses or family members or whatever, and one of them is a great listener and one of them's not. If you both raised your hand that you are both not a great listener, out in the lobby today after you pick up your Brave tickets, there's also a, a sign-up sheet for counseling. We would love to have you... I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But I do love just to kind of see, like, yes, I'm a good listener. No, I'm not a good listener. To kind of see where we land. Well, the first thing that James said is everyone should be quick to listen. We got to listen better. We've got to listen more. I've heard this. I heard this when I was in like first grade. I've heard it a ton more, but if you've never heard this and you think this is really smart, then I probably made it up. Here's what it says. We have two ears and one mouth, so we should listen at least two times more than we speak, right? I didn't make that up. I mean, you got two ears, you got one mouth, so you need to be listening about twice the amount of time that you are talking. And so here's what I want to do. I want to spend the next like two or three minutes here. I want to help you. I want to give you some quick, quick tools for you to apply today to be a better listener. Here's the first thing. Listen to understand, not just to respond. When you're in a conversation with someone, don't just listen so that you can figure out what to say when they stop talking. All right? Especially in marriages, especially in those... I won't call them arguments. We'll call them heated discussions, right? Um, you know, heavy-handed fellowship. That's what we're going to talk about here. So a lot of times what happens is one or the others, we're listening to them talk, but we're not really listening to what they say. We're listening so that as soon as they stop talking, we can start talking. And we know what we're going to say. We're getting our ammo ready to go. Um, you just wait. As soon as you take a breath, I'm jumping in there. And I got... No, no, no. If we're going to listen well, then you need to listen to understand there is a difference in hearing what someone said and actually listening to what they're saying. You can do a ton of statistics on this, a ton of things that you could kind of dive deep into this, but the reality of human interaction is that only about 4% of what we're saying is verbal. The rest of it is body language, it's the emotional tone, it's facial expressions, and so listening accounts for all of that. So you're, you're watching, if, if they're saying something to you, you're watching, do they, do they look like they're attacking or do they seem defensive or they lean back? Are their arms crossed? You're looking to see what muscles are they using in their faces? They tell you, I love you so much. Really, because the muscles in your face don't say you love me so much. They say you want to cut me limb from limb. Like, so you're, you're looking at that, you're, you're listening to tone. I think if we're not careful, sometimes the tone, the overriding tone of sarcasm has stolen honor 
in our present culture. We, we, we struggle to actually honor someone, and so we just flavor what we want to say that's nice and kind with a little bit of sarcasm so they don't think we're kind of some kind of little crazy softy. Like we're in the office and we want to honor our boss, honor our teacher, honor our parents, honor our spouse. And so we flavor it with a little sarcasm so that they, if they kind of take it poorly, we go, oh, I'm just kidding, <laughs> right? So tone, only about 4% anymore is verbal. And so I can hear what Corey is saying to me, but if I'm listening, I'm accounting for the other 96% of what she's actually saying. I'm listening to understand and when Corey and I speak at marriage conferences and things like that, we have definitely used the illustration of like a ping pong match or a tennis match where it feels like it's back and forth because we want to illustrate that both parties have to be participating. But if we're not careful, sometimes that tennis match illustration makes it seem like as soon as she serves something up to me, I'm looking for a chance to slam it right back down at her. I'm just waiting for her to leave me an opening so that I can score the point. Because I think that if I get more points in the argument, I win. And the reality is the way that I position myself, the way that I give off the information that I'm trying to communicate may cause me to win this point and lose this relationship. So instead of imagining a tennis match, let's go to a different sport and let's look at baseball. And yes, we both need to participate, but let's look at it like a pitcher and a catcher. The idea here is that in this moment of communication with my spouse or my children or my parents or extended family or whatever, I'm going to be the catcher as I listen and receive what they're giving to me and listen to what they're saying and try to, try to understand where they're coming from and what it is that they're, what's the spin, what's the angle, why are they coming at it from this perspective, what, what positioned them in this way to present this information to me in this way. I've got to listen to understand it. Here's the second tip that will help so many of you. This will set you free. Shut up. Be quiet. It is almost impossible for you to be listening when you are running your mouth. And it could be that your spouse or your children or your parents or your coworkers, if they could say to you what I'm saying to you right now, they would they actually paid me to tell you right now, okay? Shut up. Quit talking so much and listen to what they're saying. Listen to what they're talking about. When your mouth is open, your ears are probably not. Listen to them. Now, I'm going to blow some of your minds right here. Some of you, you've seen this before. You know this. It's not that big a deal. I'm about to blow some of your minds. There are two English words that contain the exact same letters as you spell them out. Throw this up here, guys. Listen and silent. Some of you are like, I don't think that's right. Shut up, right? No, it's true. All the same letters, just rearranged. Listening requires you to be silent so that you can hear what they're saying and try to comprehend and understand what it is that they're communicating to you verbally and non-verbally. So let's jump back to James. The second thing that I think will help all of us in our communication is to speak wisely. We've got to listen more, but we've also got to speak wisely. Look at what he said. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Slow to speak. He doesn't say don't speak. Some of us need to speak less often, but he doesn't say don't speak. He says be slow to speak. Some of us were very quick to speak. Others of us, we are not speaking at all in our relationship. We figured out how to nod and say, fine, I'm good, things are okay. 
but we have to be slow to speak. Ogden Nash, he put this principle into a neat little rhyme when he said this. To keep your family brimming with love in the loving cup, whenever you're wrong, admit it. And whenever you're right, shut up. We need to speak. We need to talk. We need to make sure that we are communicating verbally. One of my, my best friends, he said that in their marriage, in the first five years of their marriage, that the biggest issue that they had was that she talked all the time and he never talked. And so what they had to do is she had to give him a little space, but he had to speak up. He had to talk a little more. And I'm not just saying that's always the same in every relationship. It's not just that all the women are the ones that communicate and all the guys aren't. Some marriages, it's the exact opposite. <clears throat> in some of our homes, it's the exact opposite. And so you've got to determine in your family what's the rhythm of communication in your family. You have to speak up. We need to make sure that we are communicating. So I want to give you three quick things under this one that will help you to make sure you're talking about the right stuff. You do have to communicate. The first is this. I have to communicate my expectations. I would love it if everybody in my life could just read my mind, but they can't. And so I have to communicate my expectations to them or I will unfairly be frustrated with them because they did not meet an expectation that I had that I did not verbalize. And so for every one of us, we have to make sure that we are communicating expectations. I talked last week in the, the message on effort. I talked about the roles that Corey and I have in our marriage related to the dishwasher, that she loads the dishwasher and I unload the dishwasher. That's something we've communicated. Now, I wouldn't even necessarily put that in as an expectation like you have to do this, but we've said, hey, you can help me in this way. You, you can help me with this by giving me like, hey, if you can help me with the dishwasher, you can load it, you can unload it. That will help all of us. So Corey doesn't necessarily get mad at me, but if I don't verbally communicate where I need help or where I expected her to do something, if I'm not careful, I walk in and I'm frustrated or I'm angry or she is or in our other relationships in our life, we get frustrated with one another because an expectation went unmet that we never verbalized. That is unfair to the other people in our life. We have to communicate our expectations. Now, here's the reality. I don't get to have everything I want, but I cannot expect you to know what I don't tell you. So much about the health of a relationship is founded in me making sure your needs are met and in a healthy way we're communicating so that I serve you, you serve me. At the same time, as mutual submission, Ephesians chapter 5 talks about in verse 21, mutual submission. But I also have to make sure that I'm communicating my expectations. And here's the reason it's important. Because number two, we have to communicate our frustrations. Communicate expectation and then communicate frustration. Wherever we get frustrated, which is going to happen, we have to say to our spouse, our kids, our coworkers, our friends, whatever, hey, I thought you were going to, hey, I'm upset about... Hey, I, I need to verbalize this. I need to get this off my chest and tell you that I feel, what do you feel? I feel frustrated. Why do you feel frustrated? Because I thought you were going to do this and you didn't do it. I thought we were going to meet at this time and you didn't do it or I didn't do it or I was confused or whatever. And so I don't communicate my frustrations. Now, some of you, you pride yourself on being a peacemaker. You're like, that's biblical. I am as close to God as possible when I'm making peace. 
but you're tricking yourself. You're not making peace because what you're doing is you're suppressing frustrations and you're never verbalizing those until this one little thing sets you off and you explode on whoever's around. You're a volcano and hot lava lands on everybody in your vicinity. And they're all looking at you like, why in the world did he just get upset about that little thing? It wasn't a little thing. It was the 489th thing that's happened since the last time you got mad. But you've never told anybody you were frustrated, and you just push it down, push it down, push it down. Keep the peace, keep the peace, keep the peace, keep the peace, kind of. And they feel like we're at peace. And I feel like we're at war. But they don't know it. And so you've got to express, communicate your frustrations. Here's the third thing. You've got to communicate appreciation. You've got to communicate expectations. You've got to communicate frustration. If you're going to talk and communicate, you have to communicate appreciation. If all your family ever hears from you is what you're frustrated about and what you expect from them, that's going to get old real fast. You need to find ways to communicate regularly what you appreciate about them. I love you. I'm grateful for you. Thank you for what you do for us. Be specific. Find ways to specifically tell them what you love about them, what you appreciate about them, so that they know that you actually feel that way. Can I be honest? This is probably the one that I struggled with the most for a long period of time. And here's why. I didn't even realize it. When I was growing up, I come from a great family, great parents. They weren't perfect. We didn't have the perfect family. But man, they got so many things right, and I'm blessed in that regard. My mom and my dad were really good at affirming me and my brother. Now, I'm not saying they made us think we were the best thing since sliced bread. I'm not telling you they never disciplined us or they never critiqued us. We knew the things we did wrong. We knew when we didn't meet the expectations of our family. For sure, all those things happened. But my parents were good at affirming us and appreciating the things that we did well. Well, about eight and a half years ago, my mom passed away. And there were so many things that I immediately missed. I missed her presence. I missed being able to pick up the phone and talk to her. I missed holidays and family vacations. So many things. She died way too young. But what I didn't realize that I missed was the way that she affirmed me. Now, I don't want to sound needy here because I promise that's not what it was. It took me like five or six years <clears throat> to even realize that I was missing that part of our relationship. My dad is awesome at other aspects of appreciation and affirmation. So he usually listens to the podcast from our Sunday. So dad, if you're listening right now, I love you. Thank you so much for listening. If you're not, I'll know you didn't listen and that makes you a terrible father for just this week. And then next week you'll be a great father again. So see if he doesn't say anything about that when he calls me, I'll know he didn't listen this week because he'll definitely say something if you listen. But when he listens to me preach, he'll talk about something he enjoyed about the message, something technical. Or when I was playing ball, he would say, man, I loved, I loved that play you made at shortstop in the third inning. Or, man, we're playing golf together, and he'd be like, man, that was a great drive you hit on number 12. That was awesome because it's about something that I do. My mom had the ability to affirm and appreciate something about the intangibles of who I was. I didn't even realize it until, until she was gone. She just like affirms you in a way that you felt like she could see your soul. She could see your character and your integrity. She knew you weren't perfect, that you make mistakes. But when she would say things, it had nothing to do with what you had done. It had to do with who she thought you were. And so it took like five or six years, and I didn't realize that the, 
the water in that bucket was draining out. And about two years ago or so, I said to Corey, I said, you know what? I'm a terrible affirmation person. I don't affirm people enough. And I realized that because I recognized the role my mom played in my life. And now that I see that that part is missing, my dad's still doing an incredible job. And like, but I, I didn't realize it until like five or six years now after her passing, I realized that because I had never needed or wanted affirmation because it was present around me and in my life, I wasn't really good at giving affirmation. I thought about it. I would think, man, they're doing a great job. Like when I was watching just a few minutes ago, I was watching all of our elder couples and staff couples that were participating in this service. I was watching them pray for you and minister to you and serve you. And I honestly got convicted and I thought, I haven't thanked them recently for what they do. They come visit you in the hospital. They pray for you when you present a need. They come down every Sunday and minister to you in our prayer time. I haven't thanked them recently because I'm terrible at that. I've made it a matter of prayer. God, help me to be better at it. Help me when I think about it, to verbalize it as often as I can. I still miss the boat most times, but I'm trying to get better. I want to communicate appreciation in a better way. So you got to communicate expectations, communicate frustrations, and communicate appreciation as it relates to speaking. And here's the third thing that we see in the, in the verse that we've been reading out of James. Not only should you be quick to listen and slow to speak, you got to calm down. you got to calm down. Down. Look at what it said there in verse 19. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Slow to become angry. Now, James doesn't say don't get angry. That's a little bit unrealistic. God gave you emotions. You can express those emotions and use those emotions. The Bible says that in your anger, do not sin. There is some level of anger that you can experience <clears throat> that doesn't lead to sin. But just like the illustration I used a minute ago, some of us, we're volcanoes, and we're just bubbling, bubbling, bubbling. Something happens. We use language about our anger and our frustration sometimes. Like, I just blew up. We make it sound like it's uncontrollable. That's a lie. You know why I know that? Because God tells us that there are these things called the fruit of the Spirit. We did an entire summer series on it last summer. Go back and listen to our podcast. One of those weeks, we talked about self-control. God allows you to control self, emotions, feelings. In a moment, you may feel angry, but now you have a choice of how to respond in your anger. I'm angry. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. Okay, that's fair. Now, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to take a deep breath? Are you going to step away so you don't say things you're going to regret? Are you going to find a healthy outlet to process your emotions and your anger? Are you going to come back and say to somebody when you're in a much healthier place to communicate this, what made you angry? Was it an unfair expectation that you had? Was it something that they knew but didn't meet that expectation? Like, let's talk about it. But you've got to calm down because some of your families are scared of you. Not for physical reasons. They tiptoe around you because they're afraid that if they say one wrong thing, how you're going to blow up. Some of your kids are hiding stuff from you, not because they're trying to be sinful, but because of how you respond every time they give you bad information. I'm not saying you shouldn't discipline your kids. You should. But how are you responding? Are you responding in such a way that it fosters the environment where you get from them honest communication? 
vulnerability, transparency? Or are you fostering an environment where they have to be secretive and hide things from you because of how you respond initially? You gotta calm down. And I know that you can control it. And you know how I know that? Because I know me. And I know that I struggled with anger, younger place in my life, and I had the ability to be upset and angry about something, and then the phone would ring, and I'd be like, hello? Oh, how you doing? That's great. How's your mom and them? Okay, that's good. That's good. All right. I'll talk to you later. Can you believe you did Calm down. Take a deep breath. Step away if you need to. Deal with whatever issue you need to, to when the emotions have subsided a little bit. And foster the kind of environment where truth can rain out. Look at the scripture that we read. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So let me ask you a question. It's a tough question. What can I do better in communicating with my family? What can I do to better communicate with my family? Now, I know, as you've been listening today, you have made a list of 38 things that your spouse needs to do better. You've made a list of 338 things that your mother-in-law needs to do better. You've made a list of a million things that your teenager should do better. But that's not what this question is. What can I What can I do to better communicate with my family? Do I need to listen better, listen more, shut my mouth more? Do I need to speak more? Do I need to communicate some expectations that I have, some frustrations that I have, or actually communicate the appreciation that I have for those closest to me? Or do I need to ask the Lord to do a healing work in me and I need to control my emotions better so that my family's not scared of me? They're not worried about what the next thing is that's going to cause me to blow up. And I'm just going to control my anger, my temper. I can't answer that for you. Only you can answer that. You and God in this moment can say, God, what, is, what do I need to do? I think you probably know. And some of you are checking all three boxes. I need to listen better and talk more and control my anger. That's okay. Start with one of them today. Maybe say to your family in the car on the way home, I'm sorry I've been a bad listener. I want to do a better job. And ask them a question and listen to their response. Maybe you need to say to your family, hey, I want to, I want to tell you guys a dream that I have for our family. I want to communicate some things to you. I, I want to talk to you about the things that are in my heart. I want to talk to you about some fears that I have, some doubts and insecurities that I have. I just need to get this stuff off my chest. I've been holding it in for a while. Or maybe you need to say to your family, I'm sorry. But it seems like I'm angry all the time. Will you forgive me? I'm going to try to control my emotions. I'm, I'm going to get it wrong sometimes, I, I know. But if you'll help me, if the Lord will help me, I'm going to control my emotions better. 
What can I do to better communicate with my family? Communication is the secret sauce. It doesn't solve every problem, but when I meet with families in crisis, here's what I tell them. Just keep talking. Just keep talking. There may be some things that we cannot resolve. I'm willing to admit that right up front. There may be some things we can't resolve, but here's what I know. If we're talking about the stuff that we need to talk about, we can deal with almost anything we need to deal with. Just keep talking. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. If you would say, Jeremy, for me, I recognize that I need to take that step. Maybe I've never taken it. Maybe I've waited all series long for this moment, but I need to ask God, to forgive my sins and to be the Lord of my life, to change my eternal destination, to change the trajectory of my family and my home and reprioritize who I am by asking him to do what only he can do. I'm a sinner in need of a savior today, and I'm asking God to do that work. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. You can put it right back down. Anybody else? Thank you so much. Now, if you would say, Jeremy, for me, I just want to communicate better. I want to listen more. I want to speak wisely. I want to control my emotions. And I can't change the other person, but as much as it depends on me, I want to communicate better. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Thank you so much. God, we love you today. We thank you for who you are and what you've done in this series, these five weeks. God, I'm asking you now to respond to those who lifted their hands. Be the Lord and Savior of their life. Forgive their sins in this moment, instantaneously. We believe that's what you do. We celebrate with heaven now for those who have made that decision. And God, now I pray for those who have lifted their hand to ask you to help them to communicate better. God, would you help them to listen more, to speak more wisely, to control their emotions in a better way. And God, as they do, would you help our families to communicate in life-giving ways? God, we thank you for all that you are doing among us, all that you will do, let our families never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 